all else being equal, you want your investors to be rich. So in my last newsletter, I wrote an article about capital calls. If you're not on my newsletter yet, head to our website, LoneStarCapGroup.com, and there's a page to fill out our new investor form, and you'll get into our, uh, our newsletter list and our email list for new investment opportunities. So in that previous newsletter about capital calls, I talked about how capital calls are a bad thing. It, we, everyone should be trying to avoid them at all costs, and I did go into detail on ways that you can specifically avoid capital calls uh, in, your, in your investments. But if there is a capital call, you want your investors to have the experience and the capital, the wherewithal, to be able to meet capital calls. So if you and your investment group pool all your capital together and buy a property, and that's really all the money that you have, then you're at more risk if something were to go wrong because you don't have additional capital to, come, to bring to the table to fix any sort of bad situation that, that comes about as far as... Uh, you know, idiosyncratic business risk or some sort of uh, recession or rising interest rates, or maturity risk. So having investors who've been there, done that, have the experience where they've been through hard times so they stay level-headed and have the capital behind them to be able to put more money into the deal and right the ship or at least weather the storm to make it to the other side and make the deal successful in the end is, is very critical. Um, so I think that's something that us as sponsors, we often neglect to think about is who are our investors and, you know, we don't really diligence our investors because we're so worried about and focused on our investors diligencing us and the deal that we are potentially partnering on. Uh, so I think that's something important to, to add into your, uh, you know, thought process as you're doing deals and, and bringing on partners onto your team is, you know, yes, we want to plan for everything to go perfectly, but really the value of a partnership and the value of a partner is when things go bad. And not necessarily terribly, but just, you know, there's always going to be little things, you know, delays in closing or maybe unexpected expenses or change of course. And having partners that are experienced, smart and flexible uh, is is very helpful in those situations. So. Um, so that's kind of the, the first idea and, and going into the second idea, well, okay, that's all great. And we understand that, you know, if there are capital calls, here are the things that we need to look for, but to take a step back and talk about how to avoid capital calls in the first place, um, that's kind of the second part of the newsletter that I sent out, uh, almost a month ago now. And so the highlights of that, as you can imagine, are conservative underwriting and conservative business plans, namely with reserves and your your business plan, your stabilization period projection. So focusing on reserves, there's many different reserves that you can or, or cannot implement into your uh, underwriting and business plan. So, so some of the important reserves are just your upfront operating capital, right? When you close the deal, you wanna have money sitting in a reserve account just for a rainy day. And what, what our rule of thumb is, is anywhere from one and a half months of operating expenses and debt service to maybe two and a half months worth of operating expenses and debt service. We found that to be a good rule of thumb and we've tweaked it over time just given our experience and the deals that we've done. And uh, yeah, we feel that that's a good amount of capital that is conservative and within reasonable expectations, that should be enough to handle uh, any problems that come up. And we vary the size of this reserve based on 
the deal itself and its profile. Is it a riskier deal? Is it a bridge loan? Is it permanent financing? Is, are there, uh, you know, is there deferred maintenance? Is it there a retenanting process that must occur? Is the vacancy high? Is the, is the vacancy low? And so that all comes into play when determining how much reserves you should have. So that's kind of step one, which is the reserves that you keep in the bank day one. Next step are the reserves that you have for your CapEx budget. So you might have a $2 million CapEx budget that's allocated towards renovating interiors, maybe fixing up the roofs, maybe you have some uh, curb appeal, maybe some amenities that you'd like to add to the property. So, uh, you know, we typically use a 10% contingency fund for the CapEx. So if you have a, a budget outlined for $2 million, well, you'd have an additional $200,000 of just contingency for things that may, so for cost overruns in your budget, as well as unexpected CapEx items to occur. So that would be step two as far as reserves. Now, step three, we all know about lender required replacement reserves, right? That's a reserve that's uh, almost across all loans where every single month the lender is reserving up a replacement reserve uh, from you with the mortgage payment uh, so that the property, all, so that the lender always has funds available for the property to make ongoing uh, replacements. So kind of simple routine recurring CapEx. But you know, if you run property, you know that this fund is usually insufficient to fully cover uh, cap, CapEx on an ongoing basis. And so what we do is in addition to that simple, you know, 250, 300 per unit per year reserve that the lender takes, we actually forecast in our underwriting an additional typically 250 per unit per year of recurring CapEx in our, in our P&L. So what that does is it actually, we, we have our revenue, our expenses, and then we have that replacement reserve, of course, and then the asset management fees, debt service, and then you would have free cash flow. But before we actually have free cash flow available for distribution, we have another, right, in the P&L, we assume that additional expenses for that um, recurring CapEx. And so what this does as far as our projections is it potentially understates our cash flow because we're assuming that that money is going to be taken out of cash flow, right? There's a difference if you take that money and reserve it up front because then that's not directly going to impact your cash flow. It's impacting your, your, your balance sheet or how much equity that you're bringing to the table up front. So this is a good way to be conservative because it's actually uh, assuming that we're going to take a, a reduction in cash flow on an ongoing basis because of this recurring CapEx need. Now, of course, there, you know, between all these reserves, you have to have a, a balance, right? If you have a business plan where you've got a really big CapEx budget and you're going to clean up, clean all the deferred maintenance up, do renovations uh, across all the interiors, right? The reality of that situation is you're probably going to have very minimal turnover. So your turnover costs are going to be very low. And similarly, your recurring CapEx is also going to be very low, so you might actually come ahead. So sometimes we'll actually remove that recurring CapEx line from the P&L if we know that we're spending so much money up front on CapEx. And also it's based on how long the hold period is. Right? You can imagine if you're having a 10-year hold, there's probably going to be something that comes up that breaks or needs replacement over that 10-year hold. But if you just have a three-year hold and a substantial budget up front, then the, then the, the, the need for that recurring CapEx is, is much smaller. So those are kind of some of the factors as far as reserves go, where you can really put yourself in a strong position to protect yourself in a downside scenario and, and especially protect yourself from a capital call.
In terms of underwriting, I think this is really a smart thing to do because obviously when we're underwriting, there's, we, we need to find ways to be aggressive and make the deal pencil, right? If you, could, you just sit back and just be really conservative with every single assumption, you're never gonna buy a deal, right? You may stay protected, but you're not gonna be invested. So you have to find your spots and find ways to be aggressive, be optimistic, and I think reserves is absolutely not one of those, right? You don't want to skimp out on reserves and say, well, we, we'll just take 100000 in the bank instead of 500000 so that way our returns look a little better, right? Because you're taking less capital, so you're being more capital efficient. But whatever, now, obviously, there's a, a limit to everything, but you can accept a reasonable amount of return drag for having additional cash reserves because I think the value of having that is so substantial. Right. The other way to go, however, is to simply operate under the assumption that you'll make a capital call. Right. And this is not what most people are willing to do or, or think is a good idea because capital calls are not viewed as a good thing. Right. People always want to know, well, have you ever had a capital call? Because it implies some sort of mistake. Right. You budgeted for this, but you actually needed money for that. And that was, you know, that was a mistake. So capital calls, you know, you probably really shouldn't plan for. But I have seen many sponsors in uh, times of, you know, in, in difficult situations, they'll make a member loan to the property in order to handle any unexpected expenses and they didn't have enough actually upfront reserves or, or budgeted ongoing reserves to cover that deficit. And speaking of member loans, you know, this is probably something good to check in your uh, PPM, your operating agreement for the investment and see, uh, you know, at what rate of return can the sponsor make a member loan to the property? Uh, because I mean, there's obviously many reasons why a sponsor may want to or need to make a loan to the property, but they shouldn't be in a position to enrich themselves via that loan. So, you know, we've done deals where the uh, operating agreement stated that the that, that the sponsor can make a member loan at 0% interest. We've also done it where the, the interest rate is equal to the preferred return, which I think is also very reasonable. Um, it's essentially a temporary investment at the preferred return rate for the sponsor. So that's just something else to consider uh, as a corollary to this discussion about reserves and capital calls. Um, the other way to minimize the risk of a capital call is to lengthen your loan maturity. So right, if you have a one-year loan, that means you're facing maturity in a year. And so you're going to have to have your business plan and, and whatever you need to do to be in a position to sell or refinance in just 12 months, right? That makes things very tight and puts you in a higher risk of having a cash in refi, right? We always talk about cash out refis where you, you know, increase the value of the property, put a new loan on, and then you're able to cash out some original equity back out to the partnership. Well, a cash in loan is the opposite where you get a new loan, but the new loan is, is lower than your existing loan. So you actually need to bring more equity to the table to retire the existing debt and put on the new debt. And so this happens in, you know, very difficult situations where the the market is uh, doing poorly, or it, or if the property is doing poorly. But the longer your maturity, the decrease in likelihood that that is going to happen, right? So if you can have a bridge loan with three years plus, you know, two one-year extensions, which is a pretty common bridge loan term, it's obviously far superior to having a a two-year bridge loan or an 18-month bridge loan with no extensions or six-month extensions. And then, of course, if you can get uh, permanent financing of seven years, 10 years term, then that's even better. So that's another way to reduce the likelihood of a capital call. 
And if you want to find out the last way, you can check out the article that's on our website or you know, from our previous newsletter. And feel free to sign up on our website as well. Thanks for watching.